Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts chapter 12, looking at the story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison while exhorting us to consider if we're working for God's plan or against it. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. About 10 years ago, uh, I hired a guy to run our operations of our company. At this point, we had three plants and uh, about 400 employees. About six years into this guy's career, his life at home changed because his son changed pretty dramatically. And this guy could no longer do his job. And after about a year of fighting through the issues, we had to part ways. And what made that so incredibly difficult was he was a good friend. I like him to this day, we still connected, we're still good friends, but it's really difficult to ask a good friend to leave your company. But because he had lost his ability to lead our operations, the company was seriously failing to meet our customer demands. We had some big problems with production that were directly related to his lack of leadership. And as the leader, I had to intervene. If I didn't intervene, the needs of that one individual would potentially hurt all 400 employees who were working there at that time. So I think you get the point. It's that people are the only way you can grow your company, but at the same time, they're what often hinders your growth. God faces the same exact challenges as he works through people when he's trying to grow his church. Tonight we see God remove one man and move others out of the way that are blocking the church of Jesus from moving ahead. First, we see God deal with Herod, trying to kill the apostles to shut down the church of Jesus. And second, we see God push the disciples out of Jerusalem. James is killed. Peter, the leader, must leave. God must get the disciples out of Jerusalem so they will get to work bringing Jesus to the Gentiles. The time of the Jews in Jerusalem has ended. The disciples are now becoming a bit of a roadblock because they won't move. God uses fear and a remarkable miracle to move them. So I'm praying tonight, you'll take a more critical look at whether you are helping God move his church ahead or hindering the growth because you won't move. Let's pray for a minute, guys, and get our hearts ready. Heavenly Father, fill this room with your spirit now, Lord. Lord, clear our minds. Lord, help us not be distracted. It's so hard, Lord, with our phones and our pockets. Lord, don't let them beep. Don't let them twerp. Don't let them buzz. Don't let them vibrate. Lord, help us stay focused on you, Jesus. Give us 20 minutes to just pure you, God. Holy Spirit, fill us now, Lord. Lord, don't let me get in your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. King Herod killed James, the brother of John, because he really wanted to gain the favor of the Jewish people. He had a lot of political problems and needed things to go well in Jerusalem. James and John were brothers who grew up fishing with their dad, Zebedee. Jesus gave them the name Sons of Thunder. We aren't sure why, but maybe that reflected the dad's response when Jesus took them away from the family business to wander around Judea with him. James is put to death by the sword making him the first of the 12 apostles to be martyred. James and his brother John, after spending some time with Jesus, were hoping they would have seats 
on the left and right side of his throne when he took over the country and set up his kingdom. They had selfishly come with their mommy to ask for those seats at one point. Jesus made it, Jesus made it clear he could not assign those seats. That was God's decision, not his. He also made it clear that to be great in his kingdom, they would need to suffer and drink the cup that he would have to drink. Guys, when we sign up to follow Jesus, we must be willing to accept a life with suffering and possibly death at the hands of those who hate Jesus. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The Jews in Jerusalem were most likely very frustrated seeing all those Gentiles now coming into the Christian church. The Jews that believed and those that didn't believe now all had more reasons to hate these Christians. It was an easy place for a political figure to gain power and favor. And Herod took advantage of that moment. He gained the favor of the Jewish people, killing James and imprisoning Peter. Right now in our country, it's physically safe to be a Christian. But we see in other parts of the world, many people dying because they proclaim the name of Jesus. In fact, Muslims beheaded a woman two weeks ago in France because she showed cartoons about Muhammad. The shift in America, though, is well underway. If Twitter and Facebook can censor the New York Post, they will soon be censoring Christians as well. When the words of Jesus are devalued in our culture, people will indeed feel justified in attacking Christians. As God continues to be removed and all the biblical concepts are eliminated, people have no idea how to control the evil that runs rampant. So they look to the state to control everything. We as Christians believe that control comes from within our heart, within each man under the authority of the Holy Spirit. This belief is in direct opposition to giving up control to the government. The logical outcome of these opposing worldviews is Christians will be silenced, imprisoned, and eventually killed. I'm personally convinced it has started already in this generation in the United States. You will have to decide at some point if you're willing to drink this cup of hatred, isolation, and injustice because you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. How much suffering are you willing to take before you'll step back from actively serving Jesus in an increasingly hostile America? When I first gave my life to Jesus, I was hoping to get some sense of feeling of value and respect. I was just hoping for recognition and a deeper sense of self-worth. I never once gave it a thought that I'd have to give up my life for Jesus. In fact, when I heard people talking like that, I thought those people are just a little weird and a bit over the top, to be honest. But I can now say after 30 years of serving with him, I'm willing to die for Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, man, that dude's just old and he's at peace with dying. Or maybe I really have seen what the world has that they call the best they offer. And I could tell you guys this unequivocally, there is nothing remotely close to Jesus. This world does not offer anything close. Before you think James and John were selfish, ask yourself, what are you hoping to get from being a Christian? James was put to death by Herod and Peter was arrested for the third time about 10 years after Jesus had been arrested. 
So why did James die and Peter live? One answer we see in the Bible is reflected in the prayer of the disciples the last time Peter was in jail. In their prayer in Acts 4, they prayed, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That was what they prayed. In that prayer, they praised God because his sovereign plan allowed Jesus to be killed. They knew God had a plan and it allowed for evil men to hurt his people. These first disciples had a newly found trust in Jesus because they saw him killed and then they saw him resurrected in his human body. They knew death in Jesus is the only path to life. It's the only way. The challenge for us is trusting that death in Jesus is real and it truly leads to life. For most of us, we can say those words, but we're really not facing death. So how much death will it take before you stop believing in Jesus? The disciples who saw James murdered and Peter falsely in prison, earnestly and passionately prayed to God for Peter while he sat in jail. Luke records how powerful the prayers of righteous believers truly were. Look at these results. God gave Peter the ability to sleep chained to two guards. God sent an angel to wake him up and get him out of jail. God gave him courage to meet his friends in Jerusalem and then to empower their faith and bold witness. And finally, we saw God strike Herod with deep physical pain and death. God heard and answered the prayers of his people. So how was it that Peter slept so sound that the bright light from the arrival of the angel that filled the jail cell did not wake him up? Think about it. The angel struck him in the side to wake him up and had to tell Peter to get dressed and lead him physically because he was so groggy from sleeping. We can't sleep that sound, guys, unless we're at peace with our life. I can tell you that for sure. So how did Peter find such peace in this moment? Two reasons come to mind. First is the one I already stated. The disciples were praying. The prayers of righteous people are proven in this very story to be powerful and they're effective. So who have you fervently, passionately prayed for this week other than yourself? Fervently, passionately prayed other than yourself. Fervent prayer meant in this text, lying flat and pouring their heart out, begging God to rescue Peter. These people met numerous times praying that same way over and over for Peter. So who in your life do you care enough about that you would lie flat on your face and beg numerous times for help other than yourself? Or on the other side, what do you need prayer for tonight that you really should be asking for? I mean, your group leaders are calling you each week to pray for you. They're not calling to nag and to pick at you and to pry in your life or to get you to buy something. We're not selling anything. We want to pray with you. Pick up the call. Tell them what you need. It's not a declaration of weakness. It's actually you showing incredible trust and faith in the power of prayer and the desire of God to answer your prayer. Pick up the call. We want to pray with you guys. Second, Peter had been in jail twice before and saw the providence of God allow him to escape in both situations. He was certain what Jesus had told him would come to pass. In the Gospel of John, Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, I tell you the truth, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Peter knew this meant he would be old and die on a Roman cross. And neither of those were true in that moment. So Peter knew the promise of Jesus and he believed it. He believed it so much, it allowed him to sleep chained to two guards with his head on one of their shoulders drooling. That's not there. I just made that up. What promises of God do you know and believe that you cling to when you're in a dark place? When you find yourself struggling to sleep, rehearsing scripture with God's promises that speak to you from your past experience can be incredibly useful in helping you get to sleep. So this is why we keep written records of how God answers prayers and the associated Bible passages on hand that were connected to those moments. Guys, the longer you stay in Bible study, the more likely it is you will see the promises of God fulfilled in your life. Rehearsing those passages will help you sleep. I can guarantee you they will. King David wrote these words in the fourth Psalm. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me lie down in safety. Peter is awoken by an angel who hits him in the side, tells him to get up, releases the chains from his wrist, tells him to get dressed, and then leads him to freedom. This story with numerous other Bible references teaches us that angels do exist and they minister to believers. Jesus said they have direct access to God. They are unique beings, not human, not animals, a category all of their own. They have free will as seen as Satan when he chose to rebel against God and he caused a third of the angels to be cast out of heaven with him. God sends angels to intervene in the course of your life. Angels directed Mary and Joseph at those crucial moments of life when Jesus' future hung in the balance of Joseph's hands. In this story, we're told about people praying for many days, and then an angel rescues Peter. How hard would you pray if you knew there was a possibility of God sending an angel to change the course of an event? If you knew that and you believed it, how hard would you pray? In the next scene, we see Peter shock the disciples by showing up at Mary's home, the mother of John. A young lady named Rhoda will be remembered by Christians globally for thousands of years for leaving Peter knocking at the door because she got so excited about his escape. We pondered this. Why did Luke record Rhoda's name? She gets to go to heaven and show her family she was in the Bible. What an incredible story of Rhoda. I left Peter at the door knocking. My bad. Interesting. I'd like to meet Rhoda. I think I will. She's on my uh, Rhoda and Agabus. I want to meet both of them. Peter tells his story to the disciples and then disappears. We almost get no historical information about Peter after this moment. It's really cool to see one of Peter's last great experiences with the disciples was helping them see how God answered their prayers. This part of the story also reveals another aspect of prayer. I think this is critical. Prayer has a larger, broader purpose. I truly believe that we pray because it aligns us to the will of God. Our prayers do not align God to our plans. 
A man who is praying discovers God's will through the unanswered and the answered prayers. The more you pray, the more you see windows close and doors open. You start to recognize how God is working in your life and your prayers begin to align closer and closer to his plan for you. I've watched as he has channeled my life into a path to love and to serve men in our community. The more I pray in that space, the more miracles I see. My eyes are open to see men's lives transformed, you guys. And I pray more specifically, and I pray more fervently, and he moves because that's where he is at work with me. When was the last time you deeply cared and prayed that what God wants, what he wants, is the very specific thing he will manifest in you. That specifically, that, that, that specific thing that's about his plan for you, not you for him. So why did God save Peter in such a dramatic fashion and not let us see how he used Peter afterwards? Kind of like this young lady named Rhoda. We don't see much else. Maybe it is God used, how, this is how God does use all of us, you guys. Maybe we're just to live a quiet life with a quiet job and let God get the glory instead of us. And we're working for him, quietly doing the job we've been assigned. Very few people noticing except him. We can also deduce that God needed to remove Peter from leading the disciples in Jerusalem so they would leave and go share Jesus with the Gentiles all over the world. This was a pivotal moment. If you read in Romans, Paul says, there was a time when the Jews would be blinded and Jerusalem was shut. There was a season for the Gentiles. That was this time. God was closing that door and Peter needed to move for that door to close. Fear of persecution caused many to leave when Stephen was killed. So now many will leave and continue this global mission. So what does God need to do in your life to get you involved in the work he has for you? What has he got to do to get you involved in the work he has for you? The next scene with Herod makes a very strong statement about a man trying to steal God's glory. Herod is being praised as a God by a large crowd after hearing his smooth, eloquent political speech and seeing his fancy robe. Josephus records his silver cloak was shining so brightly that his entire body looked like a God. Ironically, an angel, and maybe the very one that saved Peter came and struck him dead with a disease. Herod was a terrible man, clearly seen in the killing of the guards who were watching Peter and his murder of James. God heard the prayers of the disciples and sent an angel to remove this evil that was obstructing his church. God clearly does not like men being glorified when the moment calls for God to be seen. The prophet Isaiah quoted God when God said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Moses never entered the promised land because he took credit for giving the people water when it was God's miracle. So how do you hide God's glory behind your story? Taking God's glory can be restated as reclassifying a gift from God as something you did for yourself. Making people believe that what you did, what you have, 
or what you are was somehow created by you without any help from God. Or if there was some help, it was simply the initial talents you got at birth. Maybe it shows up for you in a really good career and people wanna come to you for your secrets. And when the stories end, Jesus was never mentioned. They leave thinking they need to follow your advice and your role model. So they pursue the American dream because you failed to point them to Jesus. Maybe you gave a powerful talk about prayer. Your audience was deeply convicted to pray fervently. Yet when you left the podium, you had no intention of doing anything you taught. The people leaving that night were convinced you were a role model of fervent prayer. You became known as a prayer warrior in your little Christian circle. Yet all you have done is stolen God's teaching to make yourself look good. So now you know some of my failures. What are yours? How have you hijacked God's gifts, his miracles, his works, his power or teachings to make you look good? How do you feel like a fake or a phony for stealing God's glory? God punished his followers, Moses, David, and Peter for that behavior. The punishment was not exclusion from heaven, but was a price they paid in this lifetime. Maybe you have already felt some significant moments where you have failed or were humiliated. And maybe your hardship and failure right now are God allowing you to feel what it is like when you put him on the bench and you take the lead role. In John 15, Jesus said, God prunes every branch so it'll be more fruitful. Paul said, God allows us to suffer so our faith will grow. Jesus knew we would be tempted to steal God's glory. It's not hard to do when you serve with God. He's incredible. He does miracles that are mind-blowing, and he empowers us to be right there to do them with him. But guys, everything you accomplish must point to Jesus. The hard part is developing a mindset that sees that in every episode of your life and ascribes the wins to Jesus in the moment. But that's the call. You got to start practicing that in the moment. I got to win. No, that's Jesus. I got to win. No, that's him. I look good. No, that's you, God. That's the practice, guys. That's the way it's got to be rehearsed. You got to quit saying it's me because it isn't you, man. What will you do this week to stop acting like you're the man and start truly believing your wins are from Jesus? God removed Herod and he moved Peter. God wants to use you in powerful ways right now. He wants the world to know Jesus and he wants you to be the one to go show and to tell. Will he have to move you out of the way or will he be moving you in the way? Luke records these words at the end of the story tonight, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Luke's conclusion is obvious, isn't it? God acted and his plan worked. Jesus was not contained by the selfish greed of a politician, nor the fear of his disciples huddled in Jerusalem. Sounds a little bit like America right now, doesn't it, you guys? Are we huddled or are we gloating? James, the brother of John, died by the sword. He told Jesus he would do whatever was needed to sit at his right hand. And James ended up having to drink the cup he was told he would drink 
John wrote the Gospel of John and later he wrote Revelations as he was cast to an isolated island as punishment for following Jesus. God used these writings for 2,000 years to bring billions of people to Christ. Those writings of John. John also fulfilled the promise that he made to Jesus. I will drink the cup. He had no idea it would be that way. They lived it out, you guys. They're guys we should follow. Drink the cup. An angel came to John and showed him this. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and it devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in the book, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. Gentlemen, God has a plan. He's got a plan. And we've heard politicians talking about plans. Those aren't real. God's plan is real. He's not a liar, he's not a make-believe, he's not a fake, he's not a phony, he's the man of God we can trust. And his plan is happening, it will not be stopped by you or anyone. No one can stop his plan. Either you are doing the work that hinders God or you're getting in the way to make it happen. You're a part of the plan. How are you helping or how are you hindering? That's what you must ask tonight. It's God's plan, gentlemen and it's going to happen. Help or hinder, you decide. <laughs>